Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, everybody out there in podcast land. You are in tune to another episode of Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective. This is Hamza, and I'm really excited about speaking with our guest today. She is the author of River to Ocean, Living in the Flow of Wakefulness. What does that mean? Let me give you a little history. So at 16, uh, she was our author was suicidal and weighing almost 200 pounds. She was far from feeling or living expansively. The journey of waking up for her began with her suicide attempt in a long, hard passage between despair and hope. After healing from the inside out, she shares her message, moving from the inner world to the outer. Catherine provides insights, practices, and inspirational stories as she explores nine aspects of wakefulness. Nine. Wow, that hour is going to fly by. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome the author, Catherine Jansen Burkett, to the podcast. Welcome, Catherine. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Living in the flow of wakefulness is kind of tongue-in-cheek to me because (laughs) we had a lot of hiccups trying to get into the flow just to get you on, and I'm glad that it feels like we have started the beginning of a flow. Yeah, exactly. Such a metaphor, and such is life. Such is life, to uh, find the flow in the uh, challenge and adversity of even figuring out a podcast interview. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and and it's really interesting, just the folks that I've spoken with over the year, over this past year, or past seven months, that, you know, they were living one life, and then there were a lot of adjustments and depending on what state you're in, it, it, it's so interesting here in the United States. It's not a uniform um, handling of what's happening in 2020. It seems like each state has different instances of how they're dealing with things. And in your neck of the woods, how is life in, in I believe you're in Oregon? Yeah, we are. Well, as of this day and last week, kind of back in a surge, like many states, we're on the lower end of um, the spectrum, so we've done a fairly good job. Um, But I think it's that perpetual sense of the movie Groundhog's Day, like we're in what's called phase one, and we all, you know, I'm now doing my private practice as a psychotherapist on Zoom, thinking we're just flattening that curve, and by summer I'll be seeing all my people again, and we're not getting out of phase one probably anytime soon. So it's been this, you know, adjustment to what was temporary is not so temporary and how to really um, navigate that professionally for me with my clients how they're working all the different things whether it's like now we're starting the school year maybe the whole school year we'll be teaching my child at home kind of thing so um, yeah we're we're in for the long haul I think like everybody else and it's difficult without a sense of um, leadership I think Mm -hmm. for for many for sure now, one thing, I mean, everyone's life has been affected, and one area that was affected that I'd like to share is family reunions. And so, like many, our family was going to have one, and it did, and we didn't, so we're like, okay, 2021. Well, I was speaking to a third-generation cousin, and they were scheduled to have a family reunion as well, and they didn't. And instead of having it next year, they're planning on having it in 2022 because when they when we had the pandemic in 1918, it roughly lasted about two years. Do you think that it's better to have a worst case scenario of two years versus being disappointed every month because we think we're going back to a sense of normalcy? I think that's a really insightful question, and I think every person needs to kind of uh, know themselves to find the their best answer to that. You know, we a lot of times fear disappointment, not that this has not been an incredibly disappointing time, and I would go further and say a time of grieving, a time of, of big losses uh, for folks, and not just at a health level, but like you say, family relationships, potentially jobs, loss of just a sense of normalcy. Um, so is 
is it better for you or I to plan something in 2021 and look forward to it, which then is some good juice, some great energy, and be willing to risk, I may have to let it go, versus do postpone that that thing that becomes pretty important for people more than they may have realized, which is connection to others, traditions, rituals, um, contact. Um, and can they wait that out and do okay without waiting? So I don't know that there's a formula answer for so much of this, which is part of what can be difficult. Um, it's experimental. Um, I'm more of the mindset personally of like throw it out far enough so that it's not just a hassle factor. So monthly, no, let's not plan it for, I'm not going anywhere in January or February in terms of trying to imagine an out of the country trip. But 2022 might feel pretty far off. But yes, it's about how am I, what is my um, greatest wellness in this emotionally? While I try to, um, at some point, imagine a life we return to normal where we can see our people. One thing in a recent blog post that you linked to, you were highlighting recent research done with astronauts in prolonged mm -hmm. isolation. And mm -hmm. it, once upon a time, there was a stronger family unit where everyone lived miles apart. And now we're states apart or even countries apart. What did you find in that article where they were comparing astronauts, who many of us are not, uh, with relation to prolonged isolation? Well, it was nice because it was so much not about a pandemic, and it was just this idea that third quarter isolation um, produces something that um, just is going. It's just a part of the process, kind of thing. So, so there's the first. The first part of it is you know laced with anxiety and uncertainty. Then there's like this grieving period, which is more about depression and loss, potentially. And then this third stage was about feeling deeply restless, if not rebellious and somewhat rowdy. And um, also having all these ideas about um, things going on, from my understanding of, I, I read the article a couple of times, between the astronauts, they were like in this, like, you're mad at me, and this is happening. Their minds were just making up all these stories, which just seemed to be what our our summer and fall was starting to represent of people, regardless of whether it's wise from a public health standpoint to um, re-enter or re-engage or push the envelope. There was this angsty feeling of like having to like wild horses in a corral. So that's what I related to in that article that um, this is a human phenomena, not just a phenomena around a pandemic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the other side of that is, like you had mentioned, every month it seemed, uh, you know, of Lucy and Charlie Brown where she pulls the football up and, you know, right. which is right. a, a challenge. A analogy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, but now, right, we're a week or less than a week away, at, and before it was all for kids, but I know more adults here in Georgia that celebrate mm -hmm. Halloween, and mm -hmm. and our homeowners mm -hmm. association sent out that, na not nasty letter, but to us it was nasty because there's no Halloween festivities, there's no parade, there's nothing. Mm -hmm. And so after, mm -hmm. it, it's usually the, the, the start of holiday season, and so mm -hmm. what does that look look like now for Thanksgiving and Christmas and all the holidays people celebrate celebrate these last two months. What does that mean to you as far as adjustments? Well, I I'm optimistic. In the sense that I think every difficulty, and this is what I have um, dealt with in my human journey, personal human journey, um, there, there are opportunities within the hardship. And so I think the opportunity for this holiday season is, and is probably not, and very much hopefully not, the permanent new reality, but what, what can it look like creatively that is going to be different than before? Different is a loss. But, but ultimately also can be a gain. And so I think if we just have to keep going into, okay, we have this restriction and kind of, I've been saying the words, not just think outside the box, but live outside the box. Mm. So maybe we have a different educational little pod. So maybe we have a, a different little Halloween pod and we have a Halloween party. We don't go trick-or-treating. We don't do something in, in mass, um, but keeping it safe, but using the capacity we have creatively 
really um, is so important. And then the question around the holidays, I think, pushes a really important but hard thing for people in families and not in families about how do we collaborate and how do we um, make collaborative decisions or basically um, respect that we're not always on the same page and people have to do what they have to do. So starting with a sense of transparency, what have you been doing? What have I been doing? Would it be safe for either of us to spend these holidays together? Mm. Um, are we willing to do something different? Some families are just like they're canceling larger family gatherings. Others are saying, you know, let's just uh, quarantine for the 14 days ahead of Thanksgiving and the Christmas holiday holiday, whatever you celebrate in that, or take a test. So I just think there are a lot of ways to do it. So uh, rather than just it's on full board or canceled, but it does require communication, a lot of non-judgment, because what's good for me might not work for you. So we have to just live with that reality of um, my choices mean that you won't want to see me at Thanksgiving and still keep in our kind of a loving connection mm -hmm. um, around those differences. Bridging differences is always tough for human beings, especially these days, it seems. <laughs> um, but now this is really about having diversity of perspective and choice and still staying in conscious relationship with one another as family members. Now, one of the fun things I'm sure you've seen your share too of all of the funny memes highlighting New Year's Eve of 2019 and then the reality of 2020. And mm -hmm. some of the conversation thus far has been some projecting, so I apologize for some of it. But what do you feel as far as uh, since we're still in the middle of this and it's New Year's Eve 2020, my favorite meme has been uh, the watching the clock strike midnight and then at 12.01, the date becomes December 32nd, so we never leave 2020. <laughs> Groundhog Day. Right, like that movie. Exactly. You can't get out. You can't go. Yeah. Uh, well, I guess, um, you know, again, I take a, I kind of zoom in and zoom out in a way in life. And I, what I have appreciated is those who have stated this isn't just this really awful year. It's an awful year for sure. But some of these things, like the social unrest, the injustices, you know, the anti-racism stuff that needs to be so front burner. This is not 2020. This is, you know, pandemics have happened. Um, so if it all came to a head, certainly in the in our part of the world, the wild wildfires um, a month ago really took it over the edge for people because they physically could not go outside. This was this was like COVID was going to be freedom once we could go outside and breathe because we couldn't breathe. Um, in Portland uh, safely. So I think of it as ultimately things are in a process of resolving and um, this has just been all the things at the same time, which we, you know, most of us have not had capacity for because we've not been in a pandemic, this kind of political, these kinds of politics, um, and certainly, the, again, the, the social unrest, the important social unrest that's happening. So <laughs> we'll get out of the year. <laughs> I promise. Like, one way or another. like find your feet, find your feet. There is solid ground. Yeah, one way or another. You know, that's been the journey for a lot of people is they can't depend on the things they have been used to depending upon to feel well, to feel good, to have hope. And so that doesn't mean this is easy, but we have to go to maybe even more core and foundational um, pieces of life or parts of um, life and existence to remain buoyant and to, and again, to feel kind of our own feet in a year like this, in a whirlwind like we've been in. Sure. And one of the biggest, I mean, for everyone that's watched everything on streaming platforms, Amazon, Netflix, there, there's a lot of documentaries recently just talking about the cons and the, the downfall of social media. And But one thing that I find that's really interesting, and I want to ask you with someone that's, I guess, quote, boots on the ground, um, there's there seems to be like these, these corridors or just like of 
two blocks, three blocks of where there may be some social unrest. But from a national standpoint, you would think that the whole city was on fire and burning and looting and what have you. And it, we've seen that in Portland and then people responding like, no, this is me walking my dog and, you know, here are the little duckies by the pond. It's over there <laughs> on the other side of town. So what, what's it like being in Portland and is, are, are the news, they, are they giving us fake news by an agenda of fear and disarray? Yeah, I would lean way more toward that. Um, I'm, you know, personally fairly liberal, but have been concerned and saddened by um, the destruction and the, um, you know, just a city that I really choose. I feel like I always choose into where I live and 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 all parts of my life. And um, it's it's such a special city. So it's sad to see it getting a kind of reputation that's um, amplified to exaggeration because that, so, so both are true. It's kind of that duality of, yes, there's been destruction. There have been um, protests that have turned into riots and it is not felt safe in those places and there's a whole bigger city um, that has um, been in Portland and all the other ways that Portland is cool and weird and <laughs> Portlandia. <laughs> we had a show named after us and we're not just on a debate stage. So yeah, it's uh, it's been a, you know, a walk to uh, to be um, a Portlander right now and have that, that fame, <laughs> that notoriety. Right. So I got that question from some friends of like, are you are you okay? Do you right. need to actually ask Canada if you can come live with us here? It's like, I'm safe. Thank you for your concern. <laughs> I go outside. I can go downtown. Yeah. Yeah. Thank well, you for asking that question because um, it's such a special city and we need to reclaim it for all, all of it, is, all that it is. Absolutely. Well, that brings me to my second part of the question. It, it was tongue in cheek about your friend asking about Canada, but we are seeing these migrations happen this year in the states of California and New York in droves. And so I was just wondering if there was that feeling in the state of Oregon. Is it now here in Atlanta? Well, we say that there's Atlanta and then there's Georgia. So mm. in Oregon, is it Portland and then Oregon? Or are you all together? How, how does that work? Uh, it's a pretty conservative state in the rural areas, but it's, liberal leaning in other ways so yeah it's we're we're definitely a mixed bag and i would never go as far as to speak for even other portlanders at this point because there is i think assumptions that's what i've learned in 2020 uh i can't make even some of the assumptions i thought i was pretty grounded in um but uh yeah i would say there's um that contrast of uh, rural Oregonians and and some of the, those mindsets and and urban areas in particular Portland put some Salem and Eugene um, but yeah yeah similar to what you described for sure. And sure. I, I don't know that people are leaving. I haven't heard that statistic I have for California and New York. Um, in Oregon, I think some people are like, I would never want to be anyplace else, and others are like. This is not what I'm interested in. And so um, I think there's movement. <laughs> I was telling you before this interview in our little pre-chat that my editor and good friend uh, has decided to live in Costa Rica. And I'm not going to move there permanently, but mm. I'm kind of thinking because of Zoom and I can take my practice on the road, it'd be kind of cool to live in another country three to four months a year mm -hmm. uh, just to do something different. And if I'm not happy with the state of affairs in my home country. So... I think we're all thinking again, and maybe even going to live a little bit outside the box, and that—that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. That's not a bad thing. It's interesting that you know. I think this is a a, a growing conversation, and I was I was watching a video recently on the Robert Kiyosaki channel. And they were having the same conversation of, you know, where do we spend half of the year or, you know, if, mm -hmm. if it gets worse. Mm -hmm. And I, I love the Pura Vida folks. I, I personally surf and what have you. And I know that it's <laughs> overrun with people from the States in Costa Rica mm -hmm. now. So <laughs> mm -hmm. I know, I know, I know. We're thinking Panama too, you know, it's old cousin or something. I think it also is this, 
fantasy of like there is a place where and you know certainly there's a place there Costa Rica has no military and a third of their their country is my understanding is a preserve and I'm an environmentalist so I love that but I'm sure they have dynamics and difficulties and you know I think uh, I remember somebody said to me because it was as as kind of an eastern spiritual person it was like I gotta get to India because that's that's the place you know that's the that's the end game mm-hmm. and somebody was just like you know go but you know India is inside of us it's around us it's about just uh, the the wildness and certainly I haven't been to India that exist at some in some form there that I'm sure I would love to see and experience but that that idea that there's another place um, rather than let's be here I mean that's the premise of my book let's be in my life finding the wakefulness within it and within myself rather than I have to move away from what's happening to be okay to be happy uh, to be free Mm, wherever you go that's where you are there you are that's it that's it since you're an environmentalist I I do want to get your take since you did mention India uh, earlier this year I want to say it was around to my attention uh, late March early April with again a ton of memes and videos and specifically for this conversation India which is has which has a ton of bad pollution you can't see in front of you but in late March, early April, it was clear as day, and there's been tons of videos of animals coming back out, mm-hmm. and I, I want to get your take mm-hmm. as a human, because it seems like they tolerate us, and if we can't get our stuff together, they'll still be around. That's, yes, and, you know, I want to be so respectful of those who have been affected infected or affected directly by COVID or even indirectly and the that what that that environment that like wake-up call that so dramatically Italy you could see in Venice you could you could see into the water like the uh, you can't like challenge like that's not fake like those are pictures hopefully you know we can trust those at some at some point we have to decide there is something to trust but how dramatically it can change how quickly and so um because a lot of people with environmentalism and the climate crisis feel so hopeless like no matter what we do it's just now you know kind of a lost cause so i think when there can be dramatic and visual visceral kind of um impact um of change of course we didn't want to stop traveling we didn't want to have to you know do life differently because of covid hopefully it's inspirational um about how we can um you know protect the environment coming back online um as a species in different relationship to the planet Mm-hmm. Yeah, and in my, it's funny because I live on the rivers. You may know if you've read any of the book. And so in the summer, the animals go away because all the people are out on the river. Mm-hmm. And I try to sit every day if it's not too cold um, or rainy on my deck looking at the river. And then when the people go away, then the animals come out. And there's eagles, and there's a sea lion that hangs out getting salmon, even though it's, you know, miles from the ocean. And it's this dance, almost. And, mm. yeah, we need to be good dancers with the nature and in the animal world. What's the best way to improve that relationship with the animal kingdom, in your opinion? Because I'm immediately sent back to i think it was thailand where they had the monsoon and all those people died and so afterward there was the conversation of the 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 humans like oh this is so peculiar the water keeps going farther and farther out into the ocean it's not coming back and at the same time all the animals were seeking higher ground and there was a time where we were all in tune the animals go to the higher ground and we'd go to the higher ground too and that's exactly. not the case today. So how can we fix that relationship? Yeah. Well, I that's not always a question I get on a podcast, so I appreciate that. You know, I don't know if you're familiar with the concept of I-thou. So I think um, until we understand ourselves, and that's kind of the spiritual premise in the book, is we are that the we um the intelligences even that we're finding in um the animal kingdom there's a new movie um my um 
octopus teacher. I don't know if you've heard of that one. No. Just, I, I believe we've scratched the surface of really understanding the intelligence and wisdom. Um, the penguin movie that came out like eight years ago or something where I think those penguins take better care of their babies than some humans do. Like mm. We have a lot to learn, but we don't. We come from a hierarchical superiority kind of place. So I thou is not only are we equal, but I am you and you are me. We are sourced by the same waters, which is the energy of life. When we have that relationship, rather than just like, that's a pretty sunset, or I'm going to go to Zion, and what a great national park to appreciate nature, but still I am its master. Um, it changes everything because when we love something and when it's equal to us, we protect it. We do, there's just a natural living in a harmony kind of a like, oh, you need this, great, and I need this, and how can we figure out working together? So to me, it's not just about like giving, you know, funding, you know, environmentalist cause, that's great, or trying to recycle and doing your part to protect the environment. It is relational and it's a fundamental shift. And how we experience nature. Um, so my, the title of that aspect is Nature as You. And, and then as soon as we identify as part of nature, not superior to it, then we're so self-involved, <laughs> we'll start taking care of it mm. in a different way. So that's that's what I would offer. Sure, and and there are times that you were, as you just mentioned, you're you're on your on your deck and you're just absorbing nature and really appreciating mm -hmm. that moment mm -hmm. and you had to get to that moment and so it seems like on earth or third dimension there's nothing but contrast and traditionally we would all think that our best years are in high school or college but at 16 that wasn't the case for you was it mm, no actually a therapist told me something so helpful he, uh, it was he, he said, um, you're just having your midlife crisis now. And it was such a big reframe, not that 40 years old felt close, like 40 years old, I can relate to a human being at that. But at 16, it was one of several pieces that gave me a leg up to go, this too shall pass. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I'm always saddened by, I had a father-in-law who's passed his like best days were in the war and uh, he obviously experienced something really profound through, I think, ultimately male intimacy that felt safe for him as a heterosexual male, that he could just be so connected and be so purposeful. But what does that mean if our, our best and happiest times are behind us? Um, but that question of how do I find my deep joy and contentment and fulfillment in life is dynamic. So what you know made me happy at 25 or what was right for me at 35 is going to be different at 57. So not lowering that bar that like as long as you know it just is it's just okay enough now. But man was it great then. I couldn't live under that paradigm myself. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, and I'm married, I'm married 30 years in and I say that about marriage. Like, yeah. Oh yeah. We're going to keep getting better. There's no like, okay, that was great. Like that doesn't mean that, you know, there's uh, not contentment in just relaxing into 30 years and we have six children, a blended family. We feel really proud of what we've done, but I, I don't really ever lower the bar. Um, and I, it works. For me, at least. <laughs> no, no, it's great, especially you bring up a really good point about this year. I mean, there's a lot that we reflect on. I guess that's why it's called 2020, yeah. right? Perfect vision. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And one of which is the uh, traditional or the the standard relationships. So there, there are marriages that are going to be stronger because of this. And then there's others that's, you know, this is where I draw that line in the sand and so as a, a blended family of six and 30 plus years, were there principles that you, that you two hold together that makes the marriage stronger that can go through anything, even a pandemic? Yes, and I thank God that um, we have those resources. And I do probably half my practice is couples work, and I do couples retreats. And uh, this has certainly been what I would call a time of reckoning and lifting of the veil. So for those couples that hadn't done a lot of work around how 
you know, just, you know, they, they, you know, one can get overconfident if um, it's like you have a solid relationship, you feel in love, you're attracted, you've got 10 years behind you, um, and not even know that you're going to need resources. Um, my husband and I happen to be really intense people, so though we are passionately and have always been in love um, with some dips that we had to reckon with, um, we also were pretty unconscious. So from the get-go, we, long before I became a therapist, because this is a second career, we really had to have resources of how to communicate. And I have a temper, so I had to really learn to regulate my anger, how to repair injuries with each other, how to collaborate. Um, and those practices became tools I use and we teach now. Um, so I, you know, there is no. Um, one thing, although communication, solid communication, conscious communication would probably be if there's one thing or repair those two things together. Um, again, thank goodness we had that front loaded going into this time. So the pandemic was not a threat to us um, and having extra time together and how to figure out we weren't raising children. So we didn't have to deal with the, I mean, they're grown. So we didn't have to deal with the homeschooling part. Um, but that's what is happening. But, you know, is it the, is it the pandemic or is is it the circumstance that lifts the veil where we can start seeing the truth of a situation that mm. we no longer are compatible? This has been not any longer a right relationship, which doesn't mean it's a failure. Or it's time to really um, have a next iteration of this relationship um, manifest through some hard work to undo some of what we're seeing. You were talking about at a, a certain period of time being pretty unconscious. And what I've also found over the years is that when we, when couples get together, myself included, I'm not on a cloud at all, <laughs> but you know, we're on the same page, but over time, right? Like, especially from a conscious, unconscious standpoint, we grow at different paces. And so how do you, how does, how do you, or how does one, um, reach back and that might be judgment but how do, how do you keep that flame going where you guys are on two separate pages well that's that's also a really insightful question because the, the part of a conscious relationship is it does not in um, kind of organically or innately feel threatened by change but of course and i'm his third marriage the second marriage was about there was so much autonomy and a support of differentiating from each other that they literally grew apart it's that thing of growing apart so it's kind of this um wonderful but important way to know how to have enough autonomy and a sense of growth and bringing always bringing our most to date authentic self to the table but also practices of togetherness and bondedness um, so that that attachment stays strong um, and so I you know for example, I be, I really dropped into some long meditation practice, like, you know, 10-day silent retreats, mm. and I really wanted Gary to do that with me. And what I actually really wanted was just to make sure he was on the same path of dropping into living from a more... Um, you know, just experiencing being present and calm and and zen, if we want to call it that. That was actually what I wanted, less a um, you have to go to this retreat with me and you have to be comfortable sitting for seven hours or ten hours in silence. Like that just wasn't his thing to the extent it was mine. So I think it's really important to get clear on is it the activity or is it not wanting to be alone or are there even other forms on the same path that I might meditate, but you might decide to experience something through, maybe it's uh, a passionate activity like surfing or something where you just get into a zone that is your zen that would be the same for me on a meditation mat. So, you know, the the path to sustaining in loveness, which is can be a fairy tale and it's more romanticism. Mm. Um, people will ask me, is that really real? It's like, well, it wasn't real for me because I, I 
almost had an affair 15 years in, and that was a wake-up call to me. I wasn't in love anymore. So doing the things that keep us connected and excited about each other, and I would use the word inspired, things like staying curious with one another, um, which is almost like I wish the guy had put Gary uh, Chapman, that is a love language, because that's often why people stray. It's that we stop acting very interested in each other, much less sometimes acting like we don't like each other. Mm-hmm. And um, I think those are sadly slippery slopes that all of a sudden we find ourselves like really not in a great place. Mm-hmm. So inspiration, curiosity, making sure there's autonomy, but making sure there's enough togetherness, kind of my long answer to your great question. <laughs> no, I like it. And the timeliness is great. Just, uh, the other day I was watching the Bill Maher show and they had Matthew McConaughey on and mm-hmm. he mentioned that he and his wife, both of them, their parents were married three times. And mm-hmm. it's the reminder of, to me of, you know, long ago I heard Abraham saying that you know, from a Hollywood standpoint, we ride off into the sunset for 80 year marriages and that's okay. That's one paradigm, but there's others where we learn from each person and from a 2020 hindsight standpoint, you're like, Oh, okay. That relationship built me up or prepared me for my new relationship. So yeah. it's not like yeah. I'm living yeah. in the past of, Oh yeah, those were the my golden days. Exactly. Exactly. And if we have ideas of what we want out of a relationship, to me, premarital counseling is not about, now do you guys have a good financial plan? Have you figured out your sexual health? Are you okay if you're politically different? To me, the real question is, will you and will your partner do the work when the work shows up? Whether it's a personal piece, like for me, it was about my temper, or for him, it was maybe about um, a relational way of kind of being collaborative and um, kind of working with his defenses such that we could communicate differently. Like, is somebody willing to do the work? Now, you and I might have different ideas about what that means, but that's that's the determinant to me because we don't know what's going to happen five minutes from now, much less five years from now, how dynamic life can be or what things will impact us as at an individual level. But if we're willing to do the work and if um, we have certain standards by which we want and invite relationship to occur, as long as your partner's on that same page, things like, Conscious communication, emotional and physical intimacy, um, authenticity, uh, repair, just some basic foundational pieces. Um, I think that that carries the ball. It really does. Uh, for at least for some of us, like my parents were divorced, so I was very surprised that I able to be maintain, <laughs> maintain a marriage for, you know, 25 years and a relationship for, for close to 30. It's like, wow, this, it, can, it can really, I, I really, I, at the 25 year mark, there was a, I guess a part of me really, really wondered, even though I worked so hard at it, that this is truly something um, with a lot of high standards can be sustained over decades. So, so far, so good. I'm so confused right now, Catherine. You're saying that we don't have to repeat our patterns of our parents? (laughs) <laughs> let me help you with that confusion no you can leave and that's not failure you can stay and it's not just a fairy tale and white knuckled <laughs> <laughs> now you you glossed over it so i do want to go back for a second because we have a, a place here a, a retreat here where you can do those silent retreats and there's couples mm-hmm. and usually there's the, there's steps to it. So you can do like a three-day weekend by yourself or with your significant other and then build up to seven and then build up to 10. And you kept talking about lifting the veil. I, I wanted to get your take on lifting the veil with regards to uh, silence because on one hand, when everything's take everything's in upheaval of this year, uh, you could get a lot of insight through meditation or through silence, but there was a net, and this is a generalization, but the tendency is to fill up that space if it's quiet, like the deafening silence is a a phrase that most people Mm. are familiar with. So how do you get to that Zen to just casually throw out a 10 day silent retreat? 
Well, I did build up to it. I think that's actually a neurological reality because it's really uh, hellish the first few days for most of us um, in the beginning. Can you talk and about the you... second day <laughs> specifically? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm yeah, not even myself Take some breaths. Take, take a drink of water right now. Yeah, we might be, yeah I don't want to like dissuade you, but um, I think if we, we have so, even like, I mean, I'm kind of old school in certain ways of the idea of delaying gratification and patience as a virtue like we can slow down but we've a little bit forgotten how life is moving ever more quickly and that's kind of a reality of the world but we don't have to be on that treadmill we get to decide what speed that treadmill goes or doesn't go but we forget that it takes neurodevelopment to create an um, over time and yet our brain with neuroplasticity responds pretty quickly so it wasn't like I'd wait 10 years to be able to do a 10 day silent retreat I did a 3 day and then I did a 7 day and then I could do and wanted to do that was what was transformative for me it was like it wasn't just like oh this is going to be good and then I'll just be so much calmer and so much happier in my life like I didn't want to leave and I would never have thought that could happen mm -hmm. uh, in the beginning because my mind was so restless and my body was so restless mm -hmm. so it's training ourselves to in the slowing down so I have a little mindfulness practice I do before each session and I close my eyes with a client I just kind of we do breathing deep breathing and then I drop them into the present moment just let the mind rest in this moment there's no past there's no future turn towards yourself that's really different for people like not with an agenda just experience yourself right now inside as loving company and then I wait and I say, whenever you're ready, go ahead and open your eyes and we'll begin. And it's two to three minutes that you should see There's, I can't see it because I'm on Zoom, but the, the shift for somebody and they change nothing in their circumstance. We have not even done our counseling hour. That's how powerful it is. And that's mm -hmm. how immediate it is. And that's a taste of, I mean, my gosh, what it, when you can drop into deep silence, which is amazing as an experience of love and calm and insight and, and truly transformation. For some of us, some of the healing of our trauma, at least partially, is deeply served by being with our pain and then finding the love within us. And I don't mean this in a woo woo way, in a really direct way, is so much available to us because we're not in distraction to heal that pain. So it's not an advertising phrase that silence is golden? Mm. <laughs> no, but you have to get to the golden. It's kind of like really rough at first but temporarily for sure mm -hmm. and that's an interesting segueing back to what when i say to couples or any diet this could be any two people is golden it means you gotta be direct and talk about stuff that's going on so if you and i in friendship silence is golden then i need to trust that you're not mad at me for something and for any of us that run anxious and i tend to have run it run anxious in my life and think people are mad when they're not silence as golden between two people is a um an incredible reality because then my whole system can relax mm. but that means i need to be approachable if something bothers you that you will actually approach and that i'm not going to be reactive i can be open and and receptive when you do approach me mm. so silence as a meditator is golden silence between two people is golden but it it isn't as simple as that just that sentiment or that mantra got to do the work absolutely which kind of leads me back to river to the ocean living in the flow of wakefulness uh during your journey you established nine aspects of wakefulness so i'd like for you to talk a little bit about uh what you uncovered and did you uncover that during your silence you know it's through both massages which are silent moments because you're you're you know 
silent for an hour or two hours um, and meditation retreat. This book came to me 10 years ago, just like um, this new, well, now I'm 20 years into this profession, but I was 39 when it was like, oh, I was in public health and I literally got the call from the universe, you're to be a therapist. So the book came in that same way. Um, and it already, I knew the framework. I knew it was, it was basically, um, it's not a memoir, but it was wanting to help uh, those I serve, and also actually my children, because obviously I can't be their therapist, I wanted to give what um, I'd been given along the way through a lot of teachers and, and, and sages and therapists and such, and in my own direct experience, I really wanted to lay that out, the groundwork. But I really had to start with what are the initial steps. The first aspect is relationship to self that includes intrinsic worth and self-love and working with the ego. People I don't understand the ego. The second is freedom from the mind because the hardest thing, like sitting in 10-day silence, is about the mind and that if I believe my thoughts and they are untrue, I am at the mercy of the content of my thoughts. So I have meditation in there as well as kind of a practice of challenging thought. And then it's cherishing the body, practicing mindfulness, embracing death and dying, because that's another thing that our culture really avoids. Mm -hmm. And then that becomes over time a source of anxiety, though it's pretty under under the surface. We don't know that's there. So making peace with that doesn't mean I'm going to die soon. It means I'm going to live differently. And then I pivot to the outer world, which is nature as you, which is this connection to the outer world, conscious relationship finding our way in a troubled world, which is interesting. I had no idea 2020 was going to happen when I wrote that aspect. <laughs> and then finding your own spiritual path, because so many of us aren't really identified with um, organized religion, but feel called to have our own spiritual path as part of uh, our wakefulness. Mm. So, Very nice. Thank you for that. And Yeah, you're welcome. I, I do want to ask you another marriage question, since this was my old world as too. Um, public health we my old world we designed a lot of public health labs around the country and usually as, as you were mentioning your nine aspects that they're um outside of those nine there's a lot of um segmentation or siloing where we isolate things and they're not holistic and so my marriage question to you especially in 2020 since we are dealing with a public health issue how are you able to bridge those two worlds or marry those two worlds from the traditional science of public health to the inner work well that's a good and big question um i would say that we are not one thing and to your point uh i I am deeply committed to public health practices and, and the sense of community um, that we all, that mindset of the collective. And I also understand that that's not the only priority is our health. Um, the suicide rate is up. The addiction rate is up. Marriages are <laughs> struggling. Children are struggling. So um, I just think the idea of middle path is one that's very real. How, do, how can we chew gum and walk at the same time? And attend to this priority while we creatively imagine how we can also attend to the others. We get so black and white. It's this or that. And it's, I just find that to be unnecessary and a lack of creativity. And I know that can sound simplistic, but I don't actually think it is. And so that's how I marry those things. And, and it kind of goes back to the question you asked a while ago. Of, do we make plans and then cancel them? Or do we just wait till 2022? The inner world is where we have our navigation tool, our, you know, the captain of the ship of our well-being, um, our inner guide is going to let us know if we listen deeply and understand how we are cued toward our own personal best practices, it will tell us what's best for Catherine or best for you. So it's about having a relationship to the inner world as we are in this outer circumstance. And so the idea of self-awareness is actually pretty huge because I can, I can try to do what you do or you do what I do, but if it's not really going to be right for us, we're probably not going to be able to sustain that. You won't like, you know, those disappointments, you know, and I won't like waiting until 2022 mm -hmm. for, you know, family events. So I think bridging, again, we do this like it's one or the other. Uh, a lot of people live in a very external way about just what's happening in the world. Some people just 
you know, huddle up and they're all about the inner world. But the marriage between the both is how we are. Um, I mean, we really have capacity to do this. And maybe we have, we have to push the capacity on one side or the other, depending upon what we bring to this year. But our capacity is huge. Our capacities. And I, I, I do want to ask, that? you did, and my, my second part, it kind of goes back to your silent retreat, and it's a relationship question with the inner self, because on that first date, right, there's a lot of back and forth, but they, I found that the relationship is, they don't force anything on you, and usually if your outer world is so loud, like we've been trying to get in touch with you, and sometimes mm-hmm. we get that spiritual four by four, which sounds seems a lot yeah. like 2020 like it was a time to yeah. actually sit back and reflect yeah. because there's too much noise yeah. so well and that's actually you know what if everybody came out of this with a different relationship to the news with having a pace that's different and um maybe different work-life balance like that we we will not be the same and that's a good thing um and so that's what we have to harvest right now well we also have to sustain losses some sense of uncertainty and just the um the patience it's going to take to continue to <laughs> can try to flatten the next curve um mm-hmm. and come together as a whole and so yeah i think that um what one can learn from this time and the fact that uh it just there was nowhere to go and again especially with the forest fires we even couldn't leave our house like it just turns you toward maybe something you've been avoiding for far too long um and this is kind of the case where i plug get a therapist if it becomes too much if you've never really sat with your pain if you have never contended with your mind because you're always just active you know thinking and doing and and not really understanding uh that part of your existence um get help with that if you need we don't have to do this stuff alone Uh, that's the biggest takeaway that we are not alone and if i want to learn more about river to the ocean living in the flow of wakefulness and you have a private practice how could people get their hands on the book and how could they get in touch with you for your professional services well, Harbor Glow Holistic is the overall website where my husband and I have a number of different practices. So energy counseling is my private practice. Um, Harbor Glow Publishing is um, where people can learn more about the book and get it from me directly if um, they want it just from me or an autograph copy with a little note inside i'm happy to do that but the book itself is also on um all the major it's on amazon it's on barnes and noble um it's on new leaf which is a more um new age um distributing company and it's ebook audible and print book we just did the audible um a month ago with a woman named leslie howard and she's a phenomenal narrator and it was cool to hear my own words with (laughs) leslie's voice and it was very trippy at the same time and to realize she was able to do take take river to ocean to even another level i think of just like really letting the word sink in and you know the book is about ideas but i was so about um neuroplasticity and making sure people had the you know self-worth intrinsic worth but how can i get that there's no pill you can take so we have to put things into practice and then i really wanted people through um, stories not just my own to be inspired that regular people experience wakefulness and transformation so with every section there's a story about somebody who has experienced that thing um, in their own way so no, that's great. And all of my fellow audio files are so happy that you are on Audible. So <laughs> a lot of people are like, yes. Yes. <laughs> yes, indeed. And so yeah. with that, it's been a pleasure. And we'd love to have you on again as time goes on and, and you reach out from your rivers to other oceans for sure. <laughs> Thank and you. So, this has been lovely and I would be happy to come back. Awesome. And with that, you've been in tune to another episode of Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective. This is Hamza and Catherine Jansen Burkett. Let's stay in touch. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Take good care. Be safe. Ciao.